So how's your prayer life? Do you suffer from a failure to pray? Maybe you offer up foolish prayers, and God is showing you that this morning. Are you a faithful prayer? Do you offer up faithful prayers? How's your religion? Is your religion real? We've talked about it over the last few weeks. You can tell a person's religion, whether it's real or not, by the way that they walk and the way that they talk and the way that they pray. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. The title of our message this morning is The Way That We Pray. The Way That We Pray. Well, as you know, we've been working through the book of James, and so we're going to wrap up that series this morning. Now, James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has packed some powerful punches in this short little letter. We've talked about how he stepped on our toes the last few weeks. James writes the letter to kind of teach us what Christians, what, what real Christianity is supposed to look like. And we've talked about some of those things over the last few weeks. Many scholars suggest that this letter could have been the earliest New Testament letter ever written, written probably in the late 40s AD, about AD 48 is what they suspect. And most suggest that the author of it is the Lord Jesus' half-brother, James. Now you remember Scripture told us uh, that his brothers and sisters didn't believe that he was the Messiah while he was alive. But after his death, burial, and resurrection, at least two of them, we know, became believers. Judas, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of Jude. And of course, James writes uh, the book of James here. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, when Jesus, uh, when he was crucified and buried and rose again, Paul writes about the fact that he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and then Last of all, he appeared to Paul. And we know that James became a believer. He uh, became one of the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the pillars of the church there in Jerusalem. And he mentions Peter and John and James as a pillar of the church there. And this letter that James wrote is not specific to any particular group of people, any particular church like Paul's letters so often are. This James sort of writes to everybody who's a Christian. He calls, calls us my brothers. He says my brothers often through the letter, referring to everybody who's a Christian. And he instructed us on what real Christianity is supposed to look like. Over these past few weeks, he has hammered on some things that really got to my heart, and I know it has to yours as well. We learned in chapter 1 that we're to count it all joy when we face those various trials. Because... It brings perseverance and patience. And that title of the message there was the harvest of the hard times. And that, that harvest of the hard times is the perseverance and patience that God works through those times to, to mold us into the person that He wants us to be. And then the next week we began to talk about what it looks like to have the real thing, what real Christianity looks like. And you remember James sort of summed it up in the first uh, first chapter, those last few verses, you know, the first chapter, 
uh, verse 26 and 27, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Basically, James is saying that real religion, the real thing, can be measured by the way that we walk and the way that we talk. And so we expounded on those over the next few weeks. First, by looking at the way that we talk, we walk, our faith, how we live our faith out before others. You remember we talked about a faith that doesn't work compared to a faith that does work. And James says a faith that doesn't work is useless. Faith without works is dead, he says. Though we're not saved by our works, but authentic saving faith is going to produce works. Paul wrote about in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith and not of works. But then in verse 10 of that chapter, he says, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that the Lord has prepared in advance for us to do. So the real thing, real Christianity, real faith is going to be a faith that works, a faith that walks the walk. And then last week, we talked about the next aspect that we can use to measure whether we've got the real thing or not by the way that we talk. James hammered on our speech. If we've got real, true Christianity, the real thing, that not only we're going to walk the walk, but we're going to talk the talk. And you remember we talked about the fact that the, the tongue has the power of life and death. The Bible says those who love it will eat its fruit. Our tongue, our speech can be speech that can be that of an architect building the kingdom of God. Or we can have the speech of an arsonist burning it down one fiery word at a time. So we ask the question, which are you? So we can learn a lot about our Christianity and whether it's the real thing or not by the way that we walk and the way that we talk and this morning by the way that we pray. That's the title of our message today. The way that we pray tells us a lot about our walk with the Lord, doesn't it? The way that we pray tells a lot about our real thing, whether we've got the real thing or not. So we're going to look into James 4 and 5 this morning as we wind up this series and talk about our prayer life today. Let's read together chapter 4, the first 10 verses, and then we'll skip over to chapter 5 and read verses 13 through 18. James chapter 4 and verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And then chapter five, verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into the way that we pray this morning, Lord, help us to learn what you'd have us to learn. Speak to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask you. Amen. Prayer is powerful. Time and again in Scripture, we're shown how prayer makes things happen. Elijah prayed for rain as we just read in, in chapter 5 there. He prayed for rain and it happened. In Exodus 32 when uh, the children of Israel had gotten Aaron to fashion that golden calf and Moses came down and God was angered. And God intended to destroy the nation of Israel right there. But Moses prayed. He interceded on their behalf and God changed his mind. In Acts chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, the disciples were praying for him. God sent an angel to free him from that prison. In Samuel, 1 Samuel, Hannah prayed to God for a son. And God delivered, giving her Samuel as a son. He went on to do marvelous things for the Lord. There's no denying the power of prayer. There is no greater privilege afforded to mankind than the privilege to pray. There's no greater privilege given to us. Prayer is one of the most blessed opportunities that we have as a Christian. You can tell a lot by a person's Christianity by the way that they pray. God has opened the door of His throne room and invited His children to seek His face and bring our petitions before Him, come into His presence. So my question to you and to me this morning is how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? You can tell a lot about your Christianity by the way that you pray. You can tell a lot about a person's religion, whether it's the real thing or not, by the way that they pray and the way that they walk and the way that they talk. So there are three things from this passage this morning that we read that I want to talk about, about the way that we pray. And I want us to consider that as, as we look into that being an indicator of our religion or not, whether it's real or not. The first thing I want to bring to your attention, sometimes we have a failure to pray. Do you have a failure to pray sometimes? I know I do. Look at verse 2 there of chapter 4. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. We have a failure to pray sometimes. We do not have because we do not ask. There was a little boy, I was reading a story, a little boy was 
out in a field and he was trying to move a, a large stone, get it out of the way. His dad was working on a hay baler over here on the side and watching him. And the little eight-year-old boy was just struggling with all his might and sweat was pouring off his brow. Finally, his daddy stopped what he was doing and hollered, Son, are you using all your strength? He said, Yes, sir. I just can't get it moved. I'm using all the strength I have. He said, You're not using all the strength you have. You've not asked your father for help. How many times do we do that? We try to do things in our own strength and we don't ask the one that can help us because we have a failure to pray. One of the most serious spiritual conditions that we can suffer from is a failure to pray. And I think we would all admit that we have a failure to pray sometimes. James says you do not ask, do not have because you do not ask. So many times for most of us, prayer is not the first priority. It should be. But it's way down the list a lot of times. We have a failure to pray. What would you suspect? What's the average amount of time that you would think that a, an average Christian spends a day praying? What would you guess? Study shows less than 10 minutes a day. The average Christian spends less than 10 minutes a day praying. That's less than 1%. It's almost a half a percent of the total amount of time in the day that we spend talking to the one that matters. The one that can make a difference. The one that can save us. And we spend less than 10 minutes a day on average talking to him. How much time do you spend talking to people on the phone during the day? Or talking to a friend? That cuts pretty close to the bone, doesn't it? The one that matters the most and we talk to him the least. We have a failure to pray. God commands us to pray. It's a commandment. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. In Luke 18, Jesus gave the parable of the persistent widow. In the first chapter of that verse, when He's talking about it, Jesus says, He said He wanted to show them that they should pray always and not give up. We're commanded to pray. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask and it be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We're commanded to pray. In Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, God says, Call to me and I will answer. So we're commanded to pray. But here's the second thing about that. It's a sin not to pray. It's a sin not to pray. 1 Samuel 12, Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. So it's a command to pray. It's a sin not to pray. And yet we don't pray. We have a failure to pray sometimes. Why do you think that is? What are some reasons that we fail to pray? I think one thing is we, we're weak in the flesh. For most of us, we're weak in the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, the Bible says. Our flesh is opposed to anything spiritual. It's opposed to anything of spiritual nature. Galatians 5 and verse 17 says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Maybe we fail to pray not because we're weak in the flesh, Maybe we fail to pray because we don't want God messing in our lives. You know, if you talk to the Lord, He's going to start messing in your life. 
You think about the young ruler in Matthew 19. He was speaking to Jesus and Jesus started pressing some buttons. He didn't like what he had to say. We're the same way. There was a Christian missionary named Hudson Taylor. And he said this, whenever we truly get along with God, He'll deal with our lives. You get along with God in prayer, things are going to change in your life. You're going to be real uncomfortable if they don't. That's our God. That's the way He works. Maybe we fail to pray not because we're weak in the flesh and not because we're afraid of getting along with Him and letting Him push our buttons. Maybe we fail to pray because there's sin in our lives. So often that's the case. Sin in our life will cause us not to pray. Author John Bunyan wrote this, prayer will make a man cease from sin, but sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. You have prayer, your sin's going to be less. You have sin, your prayer's going to be less. Many times that's the reason we fail to pray because there's sin in our life. And we don't want to spend time in prayer because we know God will shine the light of His goodness on that little dark spot in our heart. We don't want to let go of it. Darkness hates the light. God's Word says it. John 3 and verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, the way that we pray can tell a lot about our spiritual condition. And a failure to pray might be the situation that you're facing this morning. You may have to ask the question of yourself, why? Is it because you're weak in the flesh? Is it because you don't want God messing in your life? Are you failing to pray because there's some sin in your life? Or it could be that you're failing to pray because your Christianity is not what you think it is. You've got to ask the question of yourself and answer that for yourself this morning. So sometimes we have a failure to pray. And it's an indication of our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we offer up foolish prayers. Foolish prayers. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. He says there in verse 3, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Now James tells them there's times when we pray and we still don't get what we want because we're asking from a selfish point of view. Asking for things that don't align with God's will. There are some unacceptable prayers that, and God just simply will not answer that kind of praying. But it comes from a selfish nature. Now we've all prayed selfish prayers. But not God's not going to answer anything unless it's according to His will. So anything that's not according to His will is, is a few, foolish prayer. Those kind of prayers don't go high any, any higher than the ceiling. But the right kind of prayer always is aligned with God's will. Notice what it says in verse 4 there. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He says that being a friend of the world violates that fellowship that we're supposed to have with God. And God hates it. He uses the term, term adultery. Kind of bringing in the metaphor of marriage. You imagine with me for a minute a man and woman gets married and everything's going great for a while. And then the woman gets a roving eye. 
She finds her another man, younger and better looking. She starts spending more time with him. And then imagine that she comes back to her husband and wants a new car and more money and a newer house. What's that man going to say? No. He knows about it. That's the way God is with us. When we come to Him by faith, we become the bride of Christ. And when we don't do what we're supposed to do, when we play spiritual adultery, just like that wife I mentioned, we come back to God and want things. God says no. God says no. We're to remain pure and spotless, unspotted from the world. You remember in, in, in the first chapter of James, it says uh, religion that our God accepts as pure, as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's what he said back in verse 26 and 27, verse 1. When we commit spiritual adultery against the Lord, it means our prayers will go unanswered. You can't be a friend of the world and expect God to underwrite your selfish prayer. He's not going to do it. We're looking at the way we pray as a measure of our spiritual condition. We talked about the fact that sometimes we have a failure to pray. Secondly, sometimes we offer up foolish prayers, those selfish prayers that are self-centered and not really focused on God's will. And then the third and final thing I want you to see we can offer up faithful prayers. Faithful prayers. What's involved if, if we would be men and women of faithful prayer? Look at verses 7 and 10. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And then verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The first key to having faithful prayer, being a man or woman of a faithful prayer life, is submission to God. He says, submit yourselves then to God, yielding to His Lordship. The purpose of prayer is not about getting what we want, but, a, but aligning our will with what God's will is. You get in, in, in fellowship with God and you start praying faithfully, your will is going to change, not His. That's faithful prayer because we submit to Him and we humble ourselves before Him. The second thing that is a characteristic of faithful prayer, not only submission, but being steadfast against the devil. Standing firm. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about putting on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, talking about being steadfast, it says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. A steadfastness. And he goes on, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then watch verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. 
with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Being steadfast against the devil requires us to put on the full armor of God and to stand firm against the fiery darts of the devil. And in verse 18, he says, after you've done all that, pray. That's faithful prayer. When we pray, we go to war. Spiritual warfare against the, the, the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have you ever thought about praying as being warfare? You know, you and I can, can come to church and sit in church. We can sing the hymns. We can put money in the offering plate. Satan's not too worried about that. But you let us pray, faithfully pray, and it shakes hell's foundations. Satan doesn't like it. And he will do everything in his power to keep us from praying individually, collectively, because it scares him to death, because he knows the power in it. He knows how powerful that is. So we need to be men and women of faithful prayers. Being faithfully, being a faithful prayer and offering up faithful prayers, you have to be submitted to God. You have to be steadfast against the devil. The third thing, you have to be separated or consecrated. Uh, look back there in James Chapter 4, it says uh, in verse 7, verse 8, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's talking about consecration there, being, being separated. Faithful prayer calls us to be separated, consecrated, washed, purified in the blood of Christ. Faithful prayer also calls us to be sure, to be certain. A double-minded man is not going to expect to get anything from the Lord. We have to be sure that what we ask for, God will do. And then he gives us an example from the Old Testament in chapter 5. He talks about Elijah, the man of... He says, a man just like we, we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. He said Elijah was a man just like us. But he believed. He offered faithful prayer and he believed that it would happen. It did. God did miracles because of the prayers of that man. So how's your prayer life? Do you suffer from a failure to pray? Maybe you offer up foolish prayers and God is showing you that this morning. Are you a faithful prayer? Do you offer up faithful prayers? How's your religion? Is your religion real? We've talked about it over the last few weeks. You can tell a person's religion, whether it's real or not, by the way that they walk and the way that they talk and the way that they pray. If there's something the Lord is showing you over this course of these last few weeks, something that needs to change in your life, would you lay it at His feet this morning? He calls us to do that. Jesus gave His life on the bloody cross of Calvary. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the reason we meet, the reason that we worship. And His resurrection guarantees that we can be resurrected if we're found faithful and come to Him by faith. Have you done that? Is your religion real? In just a minute, we're going to sing, I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for Him who died for me, my Savior and my God. Is He your Savior? Is He your God this morning? That's the question that God asks us. You let that be your commitment as we stand and sing in just a minute. Let's pray.
Lord, we're grateful that you have shown us through the book of James, Lord, what real religion looks like. Father, we uh, ask that you search our hearts. If there be something in there, Lord, that needs to change, Father, that you will show us the way and that we will yield to your Lordship so that we might be found faithful in you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.